So the epic story of calling. This is the biography of Moses. We're going to learn about this individual. We're learning about his story. We're learning about his character. Because his character can be or even might be your character. Character matters. Like the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the, you know, the breakthrough, the opening up of the sea, the, the plagues. It's all really exciting stuff. We have, the, we have the invitation to participate in a supernatural lifestyle like Moses. But do you really think God cares about the fireworks? He cares more about your character. And if you want to know the secret of breakthrough for Moses in his life, it was his character. So can we be people of character? I think so. Why not? So the epic story of character. Moses didn't start his ministry. He was not in the presence of Pharaoh until he was 80 years old. Right? I mean, that's when, that's when things got, started getting rolling, when he's 80 years old. That's, man, like this guy was patient for a very long time. Either that or he was running from God for a very long time. Might have been a little bit of both. But to see him develop and to see him mature, he was a mature individual that was equipped and that was prepared. The first 40 years of his life, I won't make you raise your hands, but how many people are older than 40? Okay. Oh, we got some hands. All right. So the first 40 years, very little happened in his life. As far as the scriptures are concerned, he was born, and we talked about that last week. So that was a nice little chunk of the story. And today we're going to talk about when he hits the age of 40 and what the next season of his life when he turns 40. Before we get into that, let me ask you another question. We're just actually... Just fill in the blank. Ready for this? You might know the answer. The road to hell is paved with what? That is going to be the theme of today. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Meaning that it is within our nature, in our own hubris and fallibility and pride, to think that we can be good without God. It is within our arrogance to think that, that uh, we can do the right thing, but often it turns out coming out the wrong way. And this is one of the lessons that Moses learns right out of the gate, right when he's 40. So if you were with us last week, we know that he was born into royalty. He was a prince of Egypt. At the time when Egypt was at the pinnacle of power, it was at its highest level of influence and cultural dominance. It was the United States of the ancient world. And Moses was at the top. We believe that well, obviously, being a prince, he would have been trained. He would have gone to what we would consider university. He was probably most likely trained in mathematics, hieroglyphics, 
He learned Hebrew, most likely Akkadian, the trade language, and the, the trade, uh, you know, he had to trade with different countries. And so that was like the, uh, the lingua franca. It was like the common language at the time that everybody knew. So most likely he was, able, he was, he was literate in three different languages. And the other thing about Egyptian princes and the, and the time that he grew up, no matter who the pharaoh was, we're pretty sure that we've got the, you know, at least within a, a few hundred years who, where he was at. He was trained for battle. And he was trained in leadership. All Egyptian princes were trained for battle. Josephus, who's an, is a historian that's outside of Scripture, he chronicles, I don't, we don't, we're not quite sure where he even got, where he got this information, but doesn't really matter. But what's interesting is that Josephus writes that Moses was a commander in the army, and he took an Egyptian city, uh, Heropoclus. I said, I can't know how to say that. And then another one, let's see, Heropoclus, I can't say it. And Sava. So he took back two major cities in Egypt. So we don't know if that's true, but it's interesting. But what is true, Egyptian princes in this time period, they weren't just laying around eating grapes and being fanned all day long. They were trained for battle. It's kind of cool. You know, in the next kingdom, they get lazy and they get inbred, and they, that's when things begin to fall apart. But before that, the princes fought. And so... Moses is equipped, and let me, uh, most of this story takes place in Exodus, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the account out of Exodus. Let's read out of Acts chapter 7, verse 22 through 43 instead. This is Stephen giving the story of Moses in a very succinct way. Moses was educated in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So who trained him? The Egyptians did. Uh, When we get get to Midian, we'll, we'll hit Midian in a bit. When we get to Midian and he rescues the daughters of Jethro or Ruel, when he rescues them from some thugs at the well... Um, the, the daughters misidentify him as an Egyptian. They think that he's an Egyptian guy, and he's not. But he just looks like one. He acts like one. He talks like one. He's got, he's got an Egyptian accent. It sounds like a British accent. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> if you ever watch any of these old-timey movies, all, like, you know, they all have a... British accents for some reason. Moses was educated in all wisdom of the Egyptians. Okay, all wisdom. Mathematics, trigonometry, all that stuff I forgot about. Algebra, useless stuff. (laughs) History, science. This is Egypt. This is pagan Egypt. Most likely magic. Some historians think that he was inspired to write the Ten Commandments. Of course, he's inspired by the Lord, but the way that he framed them out, 
he might have received that from Hammurabi's code. Could have been the other way around, we don't know, but that's one speculation, that he was, he was learned in the ways of law. So God downloaded him what was true, but his logical, reasonable mind was able to put it into ten practical steps called the Ten Commandments because he was trained that way. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites, the Hebrews. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, and so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. Should I repeat that? Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him. The road to hell is paved by good intentions. But they did not. The next day, Moses came upon the two two Israelites that were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, brothers, why do you hurt each other? Okay, just keep in mind, he is a Hebrew. Moses is a Hebrew, but he doesn't look like a Hebrew. He doesn't talk like a Hebrew. He doesn't dress like a Hebrew. These guys have got their hats on sideways. This guy's wearing, Moses is wearing a suit and tie, right? So they're, they're, they're not connecting. They're not speaking the same language, even though they're like, literally they're speaking the same language, but there's a huge disconnect here. And they're not identifying with Moses, not at all, because in their eyes, he is an Egyptian. Why do you hurt each other, he says. So he's trying to reconcile them, trying to, trying to be a good guy. But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Isn't that funny? Because it's going to happen someday, but God's timing is not our timing. And God's ways are not our ways. And this is not within God's timing. It is not time for Moses to be their ruler yet. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptians yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. That will probably be next week. Moses, his character is one of which he knows his identity. Last week, we talked about the idea that Moses wrote down in the book, because Moses wrote Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, like Genesis. He He wrote it all. It makes sense now that we know where he came from and who he was that, that he wrote it all. It is fascinating to me that he includes Pua and Sephora, the midwives that saved the babies. He writes their names down, but the most powerful man that had ever existed 
He just ignores Pharaoh altogether. He doesn't even give him the time of day. Interestingly enough, we see Moses writing down the name of his mother. He writes down his family lineage, his Hebrew lineage. But he never mentions his adoptive Egyptian mother. I mean, in a way, that's kind of sad, right? The woman that saved him, the woman that, that, that trained him, the woman that fed him, the woman that educated him, the woman that sacrificed her, her place to foster a Hebrew child, a slave child. Moses doesn't even mention the name of his adopted mother. I mean, in a way, that's a little heartbreaking, right? Somebody that sacrificed for him and invested in him. Like, that's, that's kind of sad. But it's important because Moses knows who he is and who he belongs to. Now, we, we, unfortunately, we don't have the whole story. I wish that Moses would have elaborated a little bit more. We've got 40 years of story that he could have told us, but he chose not to. Like, he could have told us, like, who his buddies were in the Egyptian court. He could have told us about, you know, his party life in college. Right? He could have told us that he conquered Heriopolis when he was a, when he was a commander. He could have told us, like, I did these amazing things. But he didn't. When Moses decides, you know, it just says, I think that there's more. I think we need to read between the lines. I think there's more going on in the story, this very short little snap, you know, snapshot of the story than we, than we understand. Because in Exodus, where Stephen gets this story, in Exodus it says, when, when Moses kills the Egyptian and then the Hebrews saw that he murdered him, the word got out, and when the word got out, and when that, when that rumor, when that, when that story hit the ears of Pharaoh, Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. He's hunting him down, and this is, he's gonna, he wants to kill one of the princes of Egypt. I mean, that's a little harsh, because if you're a prince of Egypt, you can just get to kill whoever you want to kill without any, without any problems whatsoever. So what is being implied, what we, what we miss if you're reading too fast, is that Moses made a shift. He made a conscious decision to know who his people were. So even though he maybe had this you know, really cool headdress thing on and you know, some fine clothes and maybe some jewelry, like in his mind, he's like, okay, uh, my real mother is a Hebrew woman. My real people are these people. This is who God wants me to be a part of. And so he made some type of a social stand in the presence of those that at one time he respected and loved and learned under, the Egyptians. He made a stand that said, I'm not a part of this clan anymore. I'm not a part of this tribe anymore. I'm going to choose uh, these people over the Egyptians. Now, why is this important? Like, because this is going to reflect what Moses' character is. 
So, again, Egypt is at the highest pinnacle of success. We like success in America, right? We like prosperity. We build entire churches around the concept of prosperity. Prosperity is a biblical theme, by the way. I think we just get it wrong. We, uh, we do things we think that are right the wrong way. Everything your carnal nature wants and desires was manifested in the Egyptian court. Money, fame, power, pleasure. Moses had it all. And Moses steps away from power, pleasure, prestige, notoriety. He steps away and then identifies himself with at this time the polar opposite, the lowliest of the low. At this time, the the Hebrews were being persecuted more than any other people on the planet. They were were slaves, they were taskmasters, they were abused, they were, I mean, borderline genocide. The only reason why there wasn't genocide is because they wanted the labor. Like, it was bad. Like, there was no benefit at all to identify as a Hebrew. And yet Moses does that. Why? Because he's a man of character. Will we do such a thing? Can we do such a thing? Can we say, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to abandon this lifestyle so that I can live a holy life. Again, this is not human nature. We have this incredible ability to have one foot in one camp and another foot in another camp. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I want to be in the world and I also want to be in God at the same time. But that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that you need to be in the world, but what? Not of the world. And Moses made this distinction. We have this incredible ability to compartmentalize uh, where we want to be. Like we can, I know, I'm getting all judgy and preachy on you, I'm sorry. But we have, in in our nature, in our character, we can be holy on Sunday and party boy on Friday. Yeah? And we can, we can put them into compartments. We can live a bifurcated life. We can live two different lives. We can live three different lives. We're getting to the point where you can have multiple personalities, and it's okay. They don't lock you up for that anymore. Right? It's actually celebrated to have multiple personalities right now. In the unseen spiritual realms, sometimes we just call that possession. So Moses' character, he makes, this, he makes this split before he kills the Egyptian. He makes a conscious decision to leave his culture before the trappings of his culture were able to come off before his hair grew out. So think about Moses killing the Egyptian. 
like he's got a shaved head with one of those cool ponytail things. He's got the, the cool, like, eye makeup on. I'm being serious. Like, this is what he looks like. And although in his heart he's a Hebrew, on the outside he still looks like a pagan. And he doesn't, he can't, he can't communicate to his brothers. Now, the point of the message, though, is that he does the right thing the wrong way. What's the right thing? The right thing, the thing that he was made for, his calling is to deliver God's people. His calling is to reflect what Jesus will eventually do for us. Like, he is, he is the, the epitome of a Christ type in the Old Testament. That is his destiny. And much like you and me, he can't wait. He can't wait. He's like, dude, I'm 40 years old, God. We've got to hurry this thing up. Right? Time is ticking, God. You're, you're moving too slow. We need to move this thing on. I'm going to help you out, God. Have you ever tried to help God out? Because God's moving a little too slow. Uh-oh. Good thing that's Gary. Because if it was somebody else besides Gary, I might just make fun of them publicly. (laughs) Have you ever tried to move God's plans on a, a little faster? Or maybe you're like me. You're like full of bright ideas. Anybody have any bright ideas? I got bright ideas all the time. I got overactive imagination. I also have a, well, maybe it's changed, but I also think that I have a high sense of, uh, of justice, right? Got myself into a lot of fistfights in elementary school and junior high because I don't like bullies. But it's the same idea. Moses didn't, didn't like bullies. I think we ought to stand up for the oppressed. We ought to protect those that can't protect themselves. Like, that's the calling That is a calling. That might be your calling. But it is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes in and he takes care and he saves people that cannot save themselves. And so we have bright ideas and we want to do good things. But often when we do good things, we forget to ask God if he wants us to do it. One of the, and, and I, look, this, like I'm preaching to myself, because I'm going to come up with all these great ideas, all these bright ideas, and they're all really, really, really good. They're great things. The only problem is, I didn't bother to ask God if he wanted me to do it. The struggle's real. I do it all the time. And what happens when you, when you begin to do a good thing that doesn't have the power of God behind it? You get frustrated. The gears grind to a halt. Everything goes sideways. You begin to hate people. No one wants to join your team. I 
I think, I know last week I had, like, how many points did I have last week? I had like 200 points, one for each of you. Like this week, is this really one point? Is that, are we doing things that God didn't ask us to do? Look, not only is this applicable to everyday life, um, it's applicable even in the big scenario of things that are going on in the world, either um, in business or in politics. In the realm of politics, it well, we don't have a whole lot of choices, right? This is like I, I don't I'm preaching to the crowd here. But in the realm of politics, for me being a leader, a spiritual leader, it is super annoying. For a politician to tell me what to do. And then guilt me for not doing it. Now, if you are an informed spiritual person, you will know how to vote. You don't need me to tell you how to vote. Turn on your brain, turn on your ethics, do your homework, allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you, and an informed citizen will vote the right way. Oh, I gotta be careful. (laughs) So, the Word of God is our. It's our compass. It's our center point. So you go to the Word of God. And I know there's not specifics in the Word of God. Like, there's not specifics of like, you know, do you buy from Amazon or not? Like, it's not, it's not in the Bible. It should be, but it's not. You know, the Bible talks about the Antichrist, but it doesn't say it's Elon Musk. Uh, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm that's, my, that's my guess. But we don't know, right? We just don't know certain things. And so you need to, the Christian is a person that is in the Word of God and that is informed by the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? A Christian is a person that is in the Word of God and informed by the Holy Spirit to make right decisions. I think what's annoying is that when somebody that is not in the Word of God, that is not empowered by the Holy Spirit, that they think that they know what is right and what is wrong. Now, it could be, more, it could be a right thing, but is, is it a God thing? That's the question. Um, this requires wisdom. So, let me put it into a practical term. Um, if your candidate does not get elected, does that give you the right to kill Egyptians? Right? So do you, do you see, like, like, you're so upset, you're so disappointed, and it makes sense because maybe some ungodly person got into office, right? And you think you have the self-righteous power to be God 
and to act on God's behalf. Like, there are times for that. But if you are not in the Word, and if you're not connected to the Holy Spirit, and, well, frankly, if you are not in Jesus, then you're going to fail. Then you'll, you'll become angrier. You'll become more bitter. You'll become more frustrated. You're going to put your faith and your trust in the things of the world instead of the things of God. Very frustrating place to be. I've been there myself. You don't want to stay there. This is, this is the litmus test. John 15, 5. Jesus says, If you abide in me, if you are planted in me, says, I am the vineyard. Amen? Jesus says, I am the vineyard. Like we're planting stuff in our vineyard. It's not a vineyard. It's more like a rock field. <laughs> like it's bad. <laughs> Cucamonga, Claremont potatoes, whatever you want to call them. These poor guys are like, I feel bad. I think we owed them more money. They had no idea how many rocks we have out there. And they're like digging this stuff by hand. It was brutal. They dug this, I mean, like a three-foot hole for some of these trees. And, like, there's just, it's just caked with rock. Like, and then there's some big ones. So these poor guys, they're in the, in the bottom of this hole digging. Like, they're sweating to death. They're dying. And then I'm like, you guys, I'm sorry. I changed my mind. I would like this hole over here now. And they didn't understand my humor. And they didn't think it was funny. I thought it was hilarious. But the soil of Jesus is not rocky soil. I mean, it is so lush. It's like that deep, dark stuff that you grow French wine out of, yeah? Like, it, it's awesome soil. It's, it's rich. It's got all those chemicals in it that makes things grow. And he says, I am the vineyard, and you are the vines. You have to abide in me. Pay attention to this. Jesus says, you can do nothing if you are not in me. Isn't that cool? You can do absolutely nothing unless you are in his soil. But Pastor Josh, I want to go serve at the food bank and do something good. You can do nothing unless you're in the soil. But Pastor Josh, I want to go take care of some orphans. I want to do something good to make me feel better. It's nothing. Like your good deeds are nothing unless you're in that soil. Pastor Josh, I want to stand up for righteousness in these culture wars. I think that's a good thing. But you can do nothing. Like it's just words. It's just more static on the air. It's just more polarization unless you are in Jesus. Your words fall flat no matter how true they are, no how much righteousness you think that you're projecting. It's nothing unless it's in Jesus. And so this is what Moses misses. Because his intentions were right. 
He had a high sense of justice. He was connecting to his people. He thought maybe, just maybe, because his Hebrew mom taught him that maybe he was going to be the deliverer because, you know, the time had come, like the time was ripe. They did their 400 years in in Egypt, and it was time for them to move into the promised land. And so maybe it was just the right time at the right place. So maybe he thought that he was the guy. Who knows? But again, his actions, killing Egyptians, was not inside of God's will. So here's the beautiful thing about a horrible mistake. Raise your hand if you've ever done, made a horrible mistake. (laughs) Whether the intentions were good or not. Maybe you had some bad intentions. But bad intentions also lead to hell too. This is just so you're, so you're, so good intentions and bad intentions, they both lead to the same place. They both lead you to hell if you're not in Jesus. I was going with that. That was good. Being in Jesus, that's where you grow fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Again, everything else is chatter. Now, Incidentally, Moses is going to go into another 40 years where we don't have any information. Like the story, the narrative, the exciting stuff, it still hasn't happened yet. And he uses this other 40 years to strengthen his, his character and his communication to God. It's a fascinating step. Something that is extremely difficult for us because we are a fast food culture. We want our blessing and we want it now. We want our breakthrough yesterday. We're the most impatient people the planet has ever seen. But maybe, maybe you have to go into Midian for a little bit. Maybe you need to unplug. Maybe it's going to take some time to detoxify a pagan culture that you grew up in. It might take a considerable amount of time to get the eye makeup off. It's going to take some time for you to grow your hair out and to grow your beard out so that you begin to look like a child of God. I mean that figuratively, by the way. Some of you ladies wouldn't look good with beards. (laughs) Okay, sorry. All right, so we shouldn't kill Egyptians, but just because we think it's a good idea. Yeah? That makes sense? Mm -hmm. It seems like the right thing to do. But God doesn't didn't tell him to kill Egyptians. Eventually we're gonna get into some stories where God's gonna tell him to to kill some Amorites. That's fun. (laughs) But God didn't ask him to do it. He uh 
he had a hurry, hurry got along. This, uh, this bit in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, is going to talk a little bit more about Moses' character and Moses' faith. You know what it takes to leave your culture and to move into God's promises and God's calling? It takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of courage to change your lifestyle. It goes against your very nature. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. All right? So there's certain things in this world that you see and you think that they're true, but they're false. But faith is an assurance in something that we don't see. You're all people of faith because you're here worshiping an invisible God that you can't see. But you can feel. You can sense. You have you have history with God, you have story with God, but you can't kick the tires, but you know it's true. This is what the ancients were commended for. Unfortunately, we're not ancients. There might be a couple of ancients in here, but most of us are not ancient. Most of us are moderns. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Amen? So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. A lot of people don't like that, specifically us objective people. We don't like that kind of stuff. Uh, Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Moses was a man of faith. He just acted too rashly. Okay, I want you to get to see this. Moses was a man of faith. He acted rashly, and he killed the Egyptian, right? But his decision before he killed the Egyptian was not a rational or a rash decision. His decision to leave his culture, to leave the Egyptians, again, he's 40 years old. He's a mature person. It was, it was, it was succinct. It was like, yeah, I, I, this is the right thing to do. You know, come what may, whatever the consequences are, i got to leave this pagan culture and i got to move into God's people. I don't understand how to do it, but I'm going to do it. For somebody that was in the lap of luxury, power, and pleasure, he wrote a lot, right? He wrote the Pentateuch. He wrote the, you know, he wrote the whole thing down. Never once... Does Moses complain about leaving Egypt? Never once does he reminisce about the good old days. In the good old days, I was a warrior, and I destroyed this city, and I destroyed that city as an Egyptian. In the good old days, I used to party hardy with, with my boys at college. It, like, he never does that. He never says, man, I, I miss those leeks and those garlics. Man, I wish I could eat some of that Egyptian fish anymore. Like, you know who was saying all that stuff? The Jews, the Hebrews. Well, they were complaining about everything. They actually wanted to go back to slavery so they could eat some onions. For real. Like, we're tired from this, you know, this magic bread from heaven. We don't want to eat that anymore. We want to eat garlic and onions. Okay, this is what you got to get. 
Moses never looked back. Even though he made a bad decision by killing the Egyptian, the first decision that he made to follow God and to serve his people, he never looked back. A lot of us do this. A lot of us make a decision for Christ, and again, we, we, we keep on looking back. We're like, we were like, oh, man, like those drugs were good. Oh, man, that party was off the hook. Oh, man, I used to have so much fun in that lifestyle. Like Moses could have done that, but he never did. He chose a holy life. That, I want to encourage you to get that. And faith... Faith is what said, okay, you're going to go from the power to the lowest of the low. You have to have faith in order to make a decision that strong. Without faith, Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Dang it, because I thought my tithes did that. Dang it, I thought my service did that. Dang it, I thought all my Bible study and scripture memorization did that. I thought my moral behavior, my contributions made God happy. No, 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 no. The only thing that makes God happy is faith. It is impossible to please God. You have to be in the soil. Because anyone who comes... To him must believe that he exists and that he, ready, rewards those who earnestly seek him. So, like, like you want to be blessed? Like, you have to earnestly seek God. There is, you can't look back. There's no one foot in and one foot out. It's all or nothing. And that's what Moses models to us. It was all or nothing for him. It's amazing. Verse 22, Hebrews eleven twenty-two. By faith, Joseph, his predecessor, the, the guy that drug, him to e- drug the whole people to Egypt, by faith, Joseph, when, he, when his end was near, he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, and he gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. So Joseph had this foreknowledge that there was going to be a great exodus, and this is before they were slaves. He knew that, that something was going to take place. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child. He had a calling upon his life. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. That was to kill babies. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right there. That's the turning away and not looking back. When he grew up, he, he, he broke his Egyptian mother's heart. Because it was all or nothing. He refused to be known as the Pharaoh's daughter. That's why Pharaoh wanted to kill him after he... Uh, Did his little misstep there. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to be mistreated, like to suffer, to go through hard stuff, to sweat it out in the desert, 
to lose all of his money and his worldly possessions. To have to hang out with goats and camels all day long. He had to marry Sephora. She probably had hairy armpits. Like he did all of this. And he abandoned pleasure. Like the, the highest level of pleasure of the time. Sorry about the hair, our hairy armpit thing. I know we're in Claremont. I probably offended somebody. I'm sorry. At least it's not in France. <laughs> you ever been to France? It's like, like a <laughs> My wife is telling me to stop. <laughs> okay. Um, he chose to be in the street <laughs> sorry. Uh, with all of his people of God rather than <laughs> to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of his reward. Should I say that again? He, dis- dis- he, dis- he discarded great, or great. He regarded disgrace for the sake of his reward. By faith, he left Egypt. Amen? Can you do that? By faith, can you, leave, can you leave Egypt? Can you leave your old way of living? Because he was looking ahead to his reward, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Amen? Can you leave without... Um, Social pressure, getting under your skin, without peer pressure, without people looking down at you because you're a person of faith, can you leave? Can you stand up and take a little bit of persecution here and there? By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood. What does that mean? You do it every Sunday. When you come to church, when you Sabbath, when you receive Holy Communion, you are, you are by faith keeping the Passover. You're allowing the blood of Jesus Christ to watch over all of your sins that you committed the, the previous week. And God knows there was a lot of them. He knows what you did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so bad. I'm sorry. Okay. It's not that bad, folks. God loves you, and he's forgiven you. Even before you did that, he forgave you. The application of the blood. We need to apply the blood to our lives so that the destroyer of the firstborn will not touch the firstborn of Israel, of God's people. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea and on dry land. That's us. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. I think this is fascinating. Oh, I I, I missed verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of the greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Should I read that one again? He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of the greater value than the treasures of Egypt. So is Christ more valuable to you than our worldly possessions? Yeah, right? It should be. Christ should be more valuable than the empire of America for you. 
It's all about priority. It's all about where you put your faith. So what is your faith in? Is it in Christ or is it in something else? I mean, you can even put your faith in yourself. But you can do nothing if you're completely dedicated to yourself. You will do self things, but you won't do Christ things. Hebrews 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. This is including Moses. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Okay, fast food culture church. You want it and you want it now. Can you just maybe do what, what Moses and the rest of the saints did? They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and they welcomed them from a distance. Meaning that you need to thank God for what's going to take place 10 years from now. Before it happens, before your miracle, before your breakthrough, you need to thank God in advance. It's one of the secret of the ancients. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, Egypt, they would have not had the opportunity to return home. If you're continually thinking about what you've left, you can't get home. Amen? Instead, they were looking and longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Are you looking and are you longing for something heavenly? Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So, again, the main idea. Don't do things that God doesn't ask you to do. No matter how good the intentions are. You know, even if the Egyptian is deserving of death, don't kill the Egyptian. Don't acting on God's behalf for God because he's moving too slow. Here's the other amazing thing about the story. If you do, let's say... You start paving some road with some good intention, um, and you end up in hell. Don't stop. Did you know that even when you make a bad decision, God can grow you and God can bless you? Not quite sure if, you know, If there would have been another way, another path, if Moses hadn't have killed the Egyptian, maybe he would have been discipled there in Egypt. Maybe it would have been a different story. Maybe the burning bush would have been in Luxor, not out in the middle of the desert somewhere. It doesn't really matter. We don't really know. But what we do know is that God took a bad decision. He did not waste a sin. He did not waste a hurt. And he used it. He flipped it to disciple Moses in the desert. So, don't mistake your mistakes, and you're disciplined by the Lord as a curse. Unfortunately, you still have to pay the consequences of your decisions. Eternally, you don't have to pay the consequences of your sin. That's what Jesus does. But for your practical decisions, you're going to have to pay the consequences for that. Did you know that maybe, just maybe, God has led you there to teach you something? Maybe he is uh, allowing you to go through a hardship so you'll quit acting on his behalf without asking him first. 
So let's ask God. Pastor Larry McGarity, could you come up? The character of Moses was one where he, even though he's passionate, high sense of justice, he turned and left his lifestyle and never looked back, never reminisced, never thought about the good old days. He never went back to high school. You know those guys after graduation that go back to high school? That was not Moses. By faith, he left what was comfortable and moved into what was uncomfortable for the sake of Christ, for this. He never forgot about the Passover. This is the Passover, which we are celebrating right now. Then grab your elements. This is the body of Christ, which has been broken for you, which means that we as broken people who make broken mistakes, that we can be redeemed. This is the bread of heaven. When we eat this bread, we declare this is good enough. The bread from heaven is good enough. I choose not to go back to Egypt so that I could have some fish and onions. This bread is life. This bread is better. Jesus is good enough. Receive the body of Christ. For your provision, receive the body of Christ, because when you are in him, you can do all things. If you are not in him, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Receive the body of Christ. Sin is defined as missing the mark. It's just not the big sins. It's just, it's the little sins too. It's not seeking his face. It's doing things he did not ask us to do. It's even doing the right thing the wrong way. Even that can be sin. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of overwhelming and complicated. But you know what's not overwhelming and complicated? is this little vial, this new cup, this new covenant. This washes away all of our sins, all of our mistakes. It makes us a new creation. And it pushes us into our calling and into our destiny, what God has called you to be and who God has called you to be. So receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and your identity in Christ Jesus. Let's sing as high as praise is.
All right, here is Moses' blessing to his people. 3,000 years ago or plus. Spoken over the children of Israel. And now spoken over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to radiate on you, to shine upon you. May he turn towards you, not only in your times of need, but also in your times of bad mistakes. May he fill your home with peace. The peace of God, which transcends all of the static and all of the confusion and all of the anger and all of the hate. May the Lord fill your home with peace. As you abide in him, as you are planted deeply, rooted in Jesus Christ, in him you can do all things. If you are not abiding in him, you can do absolutely nothing, no matter how amazing the idea or how good it is. It's still nothing if it's not in Jesus. God bless you guys. Allow the Lord to shine upon you today.